Can you imagine the scene where Jesus is sitting down, disciples all around him. That's how they taught back then. You know, I'm standing right now, you're sitting, but it was reversed. You'd stand up and uh, Jesus or the person who was teaching would sit down. Jesus was sitting down and in the midst of just imagine thousands of people here, this woman who's caught in adultery, the Pharisees and scribes wanted to trip up Jesus by shaming this woman in front of him. So they just casted this woman out right in front. Let's pray. Father, as we go before your word right now, we know it's living. We know it's powerful. We know it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, it speaks so clearly to the situations that we deal with on a daily basis. And Lord, before we move any for further in your calling on our lives, we need to confess. We need to bring out the sin that's lurking inside out into the open, Lord. Knowing you do not condemn us, but Lord, you want to heal us. You want to make us whole. So help us to realize that truth tonight, Lord. Help us not to fear condemnation. Help us not to fear exposure. But we know, Lord, that we can be set free when we place our trust in you. So anoint us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, adultery is one of those sins that cannot be committed in ignorance. When a person commits adultery, they know exactly what they're doing. It's not like you're sleeping, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize you're not my wife. You realize what you're doing. And the question becomes, how do you get to that point for the person who's placing their trust in the Lord? How do you, you know, people don't just get up and murder someone one day. There's gradual steps before you get to that point. How do you get to that place? I think... A large part of that is rationalization. When a person lets one area of their, their life slip and kind of gives that door to the enemy, gives that door to Satan. But, you know, in our day, people talk less about sin and morals and spiritual things, and they talk more about psychology. What do I mean by that? I mean, in our day, when we talk about things that people do wrong, we're talking about, oh, what was his upbringing? We think about the Boston bomber last year. Everyone's asking, well, how did the parents raise the kid? Are they evil? You know, what happened in his upbringing? These are the questions people ask when people commit horrible things because people don't want to, people don't want to admit that there's a reality to evil. People don't want to admit that there's a reality to sin, missing the mark, rebellion against God. And so now it's just when you sin, it's not that you really made... Uh, you're not intentionally doing anything. It's, oh, I had no idea. It's the people here. It's, it's a lack of accountability there. And people blame all different things and circumstances and situations instead of taking the responsibility and saying, listen, I've sinned. I'm the one who committed uh, this atrocious act. I'm the one who's to blame for these things. And instead, everyone's always pushing the blame aside. Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, who played for the Yankees. As you guys know, he was suspended this season. I watch baseball, but this is what I hear. I watch on the news. If you remember, back in the early 2000s, he was uh, asked on the Katie Kirk show if he was taking steroids, and he denied it. And then later on, they asked him about that. Why did you lie? Because it was found out he did. Why did you lie about that? And you know what he said? He said, well, at that point in my life, I wasn't even being truthful to myself. So how could I be truthful with anyone else? You see, he didn't admit 
I've done something wrong, yet I fully apologize. I know what I did wrong. Instead, what he says is, you know, the circumstance, I was just so twisted. I was just confused. And this is what people in your world want you to believe. You aren't really a bad person. You're just misled. You're just confused. The truth of the matter is we aren't good people that deep down inside there's like a little bit of holiness down there and like deep down inside you're a great person. The truth of the matter is circumstances are ruined because of sinful people. We were given a perfect world in the beginning. God gave Adam and Eve a perfect world in which to inhabit and live and be fruitful and multiply. But they were the ones who messed it up. And if you want to blame them and say, well, that's not my fault, well, then why don't you try stopping sin? You can't. All of us are prone to wander. All of us are intrinsically bad people who ruin circumstances, not good people who are ruined by circumstances. The psalmist says in 14, uh, 2 through 3, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. I've said this before. You might think I'm a heretic, but I saw the Noah movie. And the one thing I did like about this movie is there's a scene where Noah's talking to his wife. And I know it's not a biblical movie. Okay. But the one thing I did like, just looking at it from a secular perspective, is that Noah talks to his wife, and his wife says, well, God's going to save us, right? Because we're, we're good people. And Noah says, no. No, he's not. We're bad people. And she's like, well, our kids, they're great. They're, they're good kids inside. And Noah says, no, listen. If it came down to it of uh, uh, saving your kid, you would save your kid even at the cost of murder or doing something evil if it meant that your kid's life was at stake. So knowing this about myself, that I'm really bad deep down inside, I know that I need to be standing in the light. I know that I have to be coming clean about the things in my life. You have to have a person that you can be accountable to and go up to and you can kind of just tell them anything. Like, listen, I'm really struggling with this. Hey, I'm tempted with this. Would you pray for me? Because I know left to myself, I'm talking about myself now, left to myself in the dark, who knows how lost I can really be. And the same might be for you. You know, my greatest fear in life, my greatest fear in life is that I would go throughout my whole entire life saying I want to serve God. Yeah, we're going to do this thing. We're going to lead the youth group. We're going to change the world. And everything that I do be, be rendered useless because of some stupid mistake. You know, the world is waiting for you to trip up. The world is watching you and sees the joy inside of your heart as Christians and says, you know what, I hope there's some underlying motivation. I hope that they're doing this and they're just putting on a face because they, they don't want to believe that you really do have the truth. They're waiting for you to stumble. It's the same thing with leaders and pastors. They're looking at it like, yeah, well, that guy has some motivation or some selfish whatever. I don't want to go throughout the rest of, uh, the rest of my life Serving the Lord and having it rendered useless. That would be the greatest fear for myself. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. If you're a person who truly wants to follow the Lord, you're going to come clean. You're going to come into the light and say, listen, this is, this is who I am. Not a person who buries your secrets deep down inside and is afraid of exposure. You know, there's always things that we're embarrassed about. But the person who's truly living a selfless life, the person who says, Lord, I have left all to follow you, is the person who says, you know what? There's nothing that Jesus knows about me that can ever hurt me. Nothing that the world can ever know about me as well that can hurt me because Jesus believes the best about me because he has taken my place and I've accepted his identity upon myself. The first point that you need to know tonight in all of this is that God knows the truth about you. And if we look at verse 4, it says, They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. The Bible also says in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, that nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. It says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. If you're a person that says, well, no one knows, and I just, I just buried it so deep down inside that no one will ever figure out this one thing about myself, you're wrong. Because one day, at some point or another, your sin will be found out. That's just the way it is. And you can hide your sin from your parents. You can hide your sin from your friends, your youth leaders. But you can't hide your sin from God. David and Bathsheba. Think about David, King David, who's man who's his, he had his own heart after God. Yet, he, in that one moment of weakness, saw Bathsheba naked, just bathing on the rooftop, and one thing led to another. It started in the heart, and then it became action. And then he had to cover everything up. At first, he said, Uriah, you know, I know you're married to Bathsheba and stuff, but well, you know what? Why don't you go home to your wife? You're one of my mighty men, but why don't you just go home to your wife and, and just trying to cover up his sin? Because he figured if... His, uh, if Uriah has sex with his wife, that will cover up the fact that Bathsheba is pregnant by King David. And then one thing led to another. And Uriah's like, well, why would I do that when my people are at war? Showing he, he was more holy than David, if you remember the story. And so David said, well, now we got to kill the guy. He had to cover up his sin more and more. But hear what he says after he comes clean. This is what he says in Psalm 32, verse 1 through 3. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. You see, if you bury your sin deep down inside, it will only grow. And it will only make you more and more depressed, more and more miserable, hurting. And if you're not a Christian, even if you aren't saved and you hide sin deep and down, deep inside your heart, it's going to make you more and more sick. Sin is a disease that lurks inside of us. And we have to be willing to be healed of that. Look how sin affects people. And you're always going to know if you have that one hidden sin that no one knows, you're always going to watch your effects of your sin, but not be able to do anything about it or say anything about it. 
Because if you say something, well, then everyone knows. You'll also, if you keep your sin, your sin deep down inside, you'll start to view God's blessings as a curse. Every time the Lord raises you up or blesses you or gives you something that you don't deserve, it's going to feel like a curse. You're going to feel like, when am I going to be found out? How am I going to continue on in this if I know that deep down inside something is holding me back? If you turn over quickly to Acts chapter 5, I want to read you a quick story. Acts chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. There are two people named Ananias and Sapphira. In verse 1 it says, A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was, it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him, carried him out, and buried him. Same thing happened to his wife. Here's a man who said, oh, I gave all my money, but he kept half of it back. He lied not just to Peter, but the Bible says he lied to the Holy Spirit. Something else to take note is uh, he was asked a question. Why has Satan filled your heart? You see, Satan can, can move you. Satan can, can tempt you. But Satan can't make you commit evil. The blame was on Ananias. But he allowed Satan to come into his heart and to fill it. And to tempt him with those things that he shouldn't have never done. But this brings up the second point. When Satan fills your heart, he wants you to hate the truth. Satan wants you to hate the truth. And that's exactly what we see in the story back in John chapter 8 with this woman who was caught in the midst of adultery. You see, Bible study is awesome. It's awesome coming to a place where God wants to meet you and speak to you. But all of a sudden, here are Pharisees and scribes who drag this woman and turn this Bible study into a courtroom, into a nightmare. The very place where she was supposed to seek restoration, encouragement, healing, became the place where she felt judged. She was on trial. And you see, that's exactly what Satan wants to do with the truth to you. He wants you to be afraid of God. He wants you to be so consumed with guilt that you'll come to a Bible study and you're not going to be able to hear anything I say because you're like, how can I enjoy the things of the Lord when I've sinned so much? He doesn't want you to be able to enjoy the things of the Lord. He doesn't want you to be able to pray. He doesn't want you to be able to read your Bible. He wants you to feel guilty, to be afraid of the light, to be afraid of exposure and to hate the truth. Why is that? Because you hate the truth about yourself and you're disgusted by how you really are. And that's what Satan does. He is the accuser, the Bible says. And all, if all you get is accusations, you know, it's, it's one thing to receive accusations that you know are not true. It's another thing to hear accusations 
that you know for certain are true about yourself. If someone comes up to me and says that I'm a leprechaun, obviously it's not going to affect me very much because I'm not a leprechaun. I know I'm not a leprechaun. But if someone, someone points out something in my life that's offensive to me or calls me a name that's a sensitive part of my life, it's because I know in some part it's true. And that's exactly what Satan does. It's a, a tactic of him is to make you afraid of exposure and makes you want to find cover, makes you want to hide from the Lord himself. He gives these half-truths that seem like whole truths so that you run away from God who is the way, the truth, and the life. If you remember, Moses, when he was talking to God and he was about to deliver the people of Israel, he asked, who am I, Lord? Remember what God said? He says, I am. God didn't answer the question about who Moses was. It didn't matter who Moses was. See, that's the half-truth that Satan gives you. You're weak. You're nothing. You're committing this sin. You're evil. Tells you all those things. He doesn't tell you who God is. And how forgiving and how loving he is. And no matter how far away you've walked away from God, it's never too late to turn to him and to turn to his mercy. You see, the, the Jewish people wanted to make God, uh, Jesus, the enemy. By taking this poor woman, casting her at his feet, and waiting for Jesus to pronounce judgment on him. But you see, whenever there's truth to be spoken... Satan will look to look to make God your enemy. If you look at uh, Adam and Eve in the Bible, they were afraid of the garden after Satan lied to them, right? He says, did God really say that you can't eat of any true, uh, uh, tree in the garden of Eden? And because of that twist, you know, God didn't say that. He said, uh, you can eat of all the trees except this one tree. But he flipped it around and says, God really say you can't eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden. That's the way he does. He's like half-truths. And what happened? After they took of the fruit, they hid. And then when God says, where are you? Why were you hiding? He says, well, I saw that I was naked and I was afraid and I hid. You remember what God said? Who told you that you were naked? Implying that it wasn't God. You see, that's what Satan does. He accuses and he just calls you names. He just wants you to look at yourself and be disgusted with yourself and to hide from the Lord. So that's the third thing, is that Satan wants to use the truth to shame you. What's interesting to me about this passage is this woman was caught in the act of adultery, but where was the man? Why didn't they bring out the man? Because that's what you're supposed to do in this legal court case, is you bring out both people that committed the sin. Some people speculate maybe he ran away. Maybe because it was a chauvinistic culture, you know, they just didn't put the man on trial. Or maybe even he was part of a setup process by the Pharisees, by the scribes, who knows, to put this woman in a position of shame so that Jesus could be brought down as well. Either way, we see the motive of, this, of exposing this woman wasn't really to carry out justice. The scribes and Pharisees didn't want justice to be made. They wanted Jesus to be shamed. They thought they could trap him because, think about it, if Jesus said, yeah, stone the woman, that would go completely against, number one, the Roman government who says only we carry out capital punishment, and secondly, goes against everything that he's done so far, right? Jesus is the one who's merciful. Can you imagine it's like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, not come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will throw stones at you. 
That's not the, the character of Jesus. Now, if Jesus says, no, it's okay. Yeah, you're forgiven. Yeah, it's all good. He would be going against Moses, according to them. And Moses' law. And that's why he says, you know, the commandment of Moses. You know what that is. And Satan wants to use your weakness to trip up the kingdom of God. Not just you. He doesn't want to just trip you up and shame you, but he wants to bring down the kingdom as well. He wants to bring down your family. And many of you guys know in the news what's happened with a pastor falling because of a moral failure. And it's not just him. It's, it's not just his family. It's the whole church. The whole church is affected by that sin. And it's the same way in our own lives. You think that there's one compartmentalized sin that no one knows and no one sees. God sees. God knows. And Satan wants to use it not just against you, but against everyone that you care about, everyone that you know. Satan's intelligent. The Bible says that 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Your enemy Satan is going around, sneaking around, looking for the weakened ones. That's one thing about lions is they'll, they'll go around and they'll steal uh, someone else's prey. And at a vulnerable moment when your, your friends are calling you names or gossiping about you or hurting you, at a weakened moment, Satan's looking to get you into sin. Isn't that the place where we're most tempted? It's not when we're just doing great and praising the Lord and like, oh, and I'm going to go online and see what's on there. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to hook up with this girl just because I feel like it. Satan looks for a weakened moment. When you're in a place that you're, you're doubting yourself and you're feeling the weight upon your shoulders, that's the place that Satan says, see, don't you deserve more than this? See, don't you deserve something better than this? And that might be a half-truth, but it's not the whole truth because the whole truth is that God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. You know, I looked online to... Uh, figure out how to survive a lion attack by the Smithsonian Magazine. And I found some interesting things. If you ever want to know how to survive a lion attack, here's how to do it. It has two don'ts and one do. First don't, do not run from a lion if it's about to attack you. Good, good sound advice. Why is that? Because Usain Bolt is the fastest man who's ever ran. He runs 27 miles an hour. Now a lion runs 50 miles an hour. So if you see a lion, you start running, there's a 100% chance that he will catch you and kill you. So don't run. Secondly, don't bother making yourself look bigger than what you are. You may have seen that in movies and stuff. You see like a mountain lion or stuff. You try to like raise your arms and stuff and it's going to scare it away. No, it doesn't work because lions take down giraffes and other things that are huge. So don't try to make yourself look bigger. But what you are to do is to shout your head off. So I don't know how many of you are going to be attacked by a physical lion, a real life lion. That's what you do. You shout your head off. And somehow that startles the lion so it runs away. The world wants to throw labels on you. It wants to say things about you. It wants to look at you and says you'll never amount to anything. And God hates you and, and God doesn't love you. And your sin is terrible and that's going to make you who you are. You're nothing but a druggie. You're nothing but a person who's addicted to pornography and all those different things. That's what the world wants to say to you and, and accuse you. And human nature wants to manipulate, wants to hide, take it into our own hands. 
and says, well, if they're calling me names and they're saying this stuff, I'm going to just, I'm going to, you know, defriend them off Facebook or I'm going to block them on Instagram and block their text messages. I'm going to block these people out of my life and take it into your own hands. Or you just run away. You just run into hiding because you figure by running away from those people that are, are saying those things about you, somehow they're going to go away. But when Satan throws lies at you, you can't run away. He's going to catch up to you. You can't just hide. You can't try to make yourself look bigger and like, no, I can take this. Listen, I'm, I'm pretty strong. I can do this. I can take these insults. I can take these accusations. I need, I need to toughen up. That's what I got to do. No, what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, here's the solution. When Satan throws lies at you, this is what you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now here's the key. Bringing every thought into captivity, into the, the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So when, when Satan throws those thoughts, those lies into your head, you take those thoughts captive and bring them to the obedience of Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible also says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have to shout the reality of who Jesus is. You got to call upon your Savior. You need to call upon the name of Jesus. You see, when, it, when, when Satan starts name-calling, you call upon the name of Jesus. It's as simple as that. You don't need to, to run away. You don't need to hide. You don't need to defend yourself. You just need to call someone who can take care of the problem for you. You need to call someone who's ready to defend you. So when he starts to, to shout those accusations at, at your life, you shout louder because you believe in a God who's greater than he who is in the world. Satan roams around like a roaring lion, but we have someone greater than Satan. Look at verse 7 with me. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now we're, we, people speculate over the years what he was writing on the ground. Some people said that he was writing down a list of names. Maybe it was a sin that they committed, a secret sin that these Pharisees and scribes were committing. Uh, maybe he was just drawing squiggles. Maybe he was just like buying time. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we can only speculate. But whatever it is that he wrote, it says in verse 9, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So these people started departing from the oldest to the last. But they were all ready to start judging her. And in our lives, I feel like a lot of people don't know how to judge. When you're a Christian, you're kind of like, well, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged, so I guess not. No, well, the law actually says that you weren't allowed to judge when Jesus says, uh, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. What he was talking about is, in the law, you couldn't commit the same exact sin that the person had committed. It'd just make you a hypocrite. So he's saying, judge without hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. There is a right way and a wrong way to judge, and Christians can fail at this so often. I myself can fail at this so often. You look at a person and you say, well, that person will never 
come to know Jesus. That person is just such a wicked, evil, terrible person. And you're not just judging a character trait about them, you're judging their entire life. You see the difference? When, the Bible says that we're to judge. You know, it says you're even going to judge angels one day. You need to settle these disputes. You need to call people out on sin. The Bible talks about in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable, favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So there are things that we have to correct. However, it's done in love. It's done without hypocrisy, but always with that intention of bringing that person towards restoration. You see a brother or sister sinning, and you don't judge them in like, oh, they're, they're never going to come back to God. Instead, what you do is, I pray so much for that person that their eyes will be open because they've been blinded by who? By Satan, the Bible says. You're patiently rebuking them, patiently hoping and praying that that person who has fallen into the traps of sin will be released. You're not exposing them for the world to see. You're approaching that person in private and saying, hey, listen, I see these things about your life. Don't ever gossip about that person. Don't ever say, oh, you'll never believe what this person did. Don't ever expose that person. But be in a place where you're willing to go up to that person and, and say, listen, you're on a trajectory that's leading towards hell and you need to burn those bridges that lead to hell. Judge without hypocrisy, judge with love. And this is not what the scribes and Pharisees did. They did with a lack of forgiveness, a lack of compassion. They weren't even out to, to judge rightly. They just wanted to trip up Jesus. And they also had a lack of understanding of their own sinfulness. And it wasn't until Jesus started writing that they realized, yeah, we are guilty ourselves. Which suggests that these scribes and Pharisees weren't just guilty of any sin. It was of sexual sin, which is very, very interesting to me. You know, we're so easy to point out the sin in someone else's life and not looking intrinsically. How many of us are, are just, yeah, man, that, that person really has to clean up their life and their language and stuff, and not realizing you do the exact same things. When's the last time that you complimented your sister that you, you're not getting along with? When's the last time that you forgave that person that you're holding that grudge against? And then we'll look at other people, that person won't forgive me, that person won't. Are you taking the plank out of your own eye? Are you judging without hypocrisy? Look at verse 10. So when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What's interesting is when Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, there's only one person out of perhaps the thousands of people there that was without sin. And that was Jesus himself. And the one person without sin who had every right to condemn this woman Every right to say, listen, you just messed up big time. You just got caught. What are you going to do about it? He says, neither do I condemn you. You see, that is the message of the gospel. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What man intended for judgment and persecution and wanted to bring this woman to expose her and shame her, God intended for mercy. Sovereignly by his righteous right hand. You see, it's God's mercy when you get caught in your sin. 
oh, I got found out, my parents found out, or my, that person found out what I really did, or now everyone knows. It is God's mercy that you got caught. Because what that shows is God says, you know what? You will go here and no farther with your sin. I'm not saying that you have to be joyful about it. I'm not saying that you have to jump up and say, oh, this is awesome. I got caught in my sin. But reflect on the fact that God loves you so much that he will not let you continue in your sin. The Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, but the Lord chastens whom he loves. If you are rebuked, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, you really got to change your attitude. That is God showing his love for you through someone else. I'm not saying that all rebuke is justified, but I am saying that God speaks through people who have the Holy Spirit within them, and that's maybe something that we have to consider more often. But the message of the gospel, either way, is that God did not come into the world to condemn it, to say, shame on you. He says, listen, look upon me. Put your trust in me, and I will forgive you of each and every sin that you commit. If you're just willing to say, listen, I've messed up so many times. My parents don't know about this. My friends don't know about this but I want to be healed. The Bible also says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Maybe there's some confession that has to happen tonight. Maybe you've been hiding for a long time and there's been guilt building up each and every day and you've buried it pretty well up until now, but this is the time that you have to say, you know what, I'm laying it on the table. I'm willing to come to the light because I don't want to remain in darkness. It's a terrible place to be walking in your life towards holiness and knowing that deep down inside, no one else knows who you really are. No one else knows how bad you are and how deep you are in your sin. Don't get to that place. Be willing to come clean and say, God, would you save me? Would you save me from my sins? Would you save me from my shame, my guilt, knowing that you don't look at me as some sinful, evil person? The Bible says, though your sins are as scarlet, you'll be washed white as snow. Though you got blood all over yourself, God will make you as clean as the very snow that we see so often every winter. In conclusion today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close this out in a song. But before we get to that, don't tune out because this is really important. Our minds, when we hear words and when we hear people condemning us or praising us, we treat it the same way, don't we? Right? If someone compliments you, you hold on to that. I remember when I was like 14, like one of my youth leaders said that. I was like, oh man, you've been working out? And I was like this skinny, like I was like 50 pounds lighter than I am now. And I didn't work out. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've been working out. And like your mind replays that. And just someone older that just complimented you. And you're just, you're holding on to that. Like, wow, someone actually thought I look good. We do the same thing with insults though. When someone says, yeah, you're the scum of the earth. You replay that in your mind over and over and over. Oh, that stupid thing that I said, that dumb thing that I did, your embarrassment plays over and over and over. We treat them the same way. I think that's sometimes why we listen to music to drown those things out, but also because we relate with those things so well. When you're always in that mode of hiding, you're disgusted with who you are, you just want to play something that kind of reflects that, that makes you think about it. There's a song that I, I recently heard by 21 Pilots that says this. I never what I like, I'm double-sided, and I just can't hide. You know, I feel like it's kind of hidden under happy music. I'm not saying it's evil, and I'm saying it's good. I'm saying this, though. The world identifies with the fact that they want to hide from their sin. 
that they're disgusted with themselves. But the key is don't give in to Satan when he wants you to hide from God. Don't give in to Satan when he speaks those lies into your, to your life. Instead, what you have to do is remember who God is and how much he loves you so much that while you're at your worst, Christ died for you. And he loves you just as if you were the only person in the entire world, he would have died just for you. A filthy, rotten sinner, just like me. And if you know that, if you know who your God really is, you won't want to hide. You don't want to hide from him. You don't want to run away from him. You could be as King David says, because, you know, 21 Pilate says that you can't hide, but King David said this about God. You, O God, are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Think about this. This woman was running and hiding and living in darkness. She was exposed before Jesus, brought to the light. And when she thought she, the solution was to hide and to run away, God hid her inside himself. God protected her from the accusers, from the enemy. And he can do the same with you. You've been brought to light today. You've been brought to light tonight. Here at youth group, maybe you had a different reason for coming here. But this is the time that you can get real before the Lord and say, you know what, I've been hiding for a long time, but I'm going to hide in the one person who can protect me, and that's Christ Jesus. So we're going to sing this song. Maybe you've known this. this is an old song, but it's a song based on that very psalm, that you are my hiding place. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And if you know that, you don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of your accusers. You don't have to be afraid of your youth leaders. You don't have to be afraid of your parents. Because there's nothing in the world that anyone can ever know about you that God won't forgive you for. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. So why don't we bow our heads with each other right now and just close your eyes. I want this to be a holy moment between you and the Lord. And ask yourself, do I have to confess some things tonight? Do I have to bring some things before the Lord?